if you want to get even ultra more depressed, not only the livelihood I'd built with that band, but the the friendships over all the years, the, the guys we toured with, every single friend I made on the road dropped me like a fly. And I've had a few conversations with people over the years and they, they apologize. They're like, I don't know why we felt this, but it's like, we had to choose you, you or Hawk. And he's like, we had to go with Hawk. It's a long and lonely road. It's a long and lonely road. Welcome back to Labeled. I'm your host, Matt Carter. And today's conversation is with Jason Dunn of Hawk Nelson, who's part of the Canadian alumni of Tooth and Nail. Now, Jason was and is an incredible writer, singer, and frontman with a huge smile, and he could always bring the energy and connect with any audience. But at some point, it became hard for him to authentically maintain that smile. And I love this conversation because it's just so cool to have the opportunity to hear the human experiences behind this stuff that are so universal, but at the same time, completely unique to the specific unfolding of their times and places. If you had not done so yet, please join the Labeled Facebook group. It's a fun and healthy online group that, you know, helps shape this show and particularly is to thank for the suggestion and the content of this episode. So you can just find it if you search in Facebook. We'll see you over there. Okay, let's do it. Okay, well, uh, let's just roll on forward here. I wanted to sink. I tried to remember the last. I, 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 you know, what came to your mind when I was texting with you um, is slightly <laughs> different than the thing that came to my mind. But what came to my mind um, is last time I saw you, I feel like it was in South Dakota at the festival in South Dakota. Is that right? That that is very accurate. <laughs> that's a cool one and you had a different memory um that popped in your head uh, when we were talking what was it so yeah as soon as i saw it i'm like no way and i just instantly thought of the very first uh, time i ever saw you guys actually the first time i even heard of you was at tooth and nail day at cornerstone festival in 2003 uh it was like my second time in the united states so i was already nervous to begin with and you guys were playing and then we were on like i think right after you or you know, we were nervous anyways and you guys showed up and i'm like oh these guys are here i'm like who are these guys they, you all had mustaches mm-hmm. and i thought you were like 50 at the time because you all had mustaches and i'm like oh this will be interesting and they're like holy smokes they're like really good and it was just that was my that was my first uh introduction to emory that was 2004 maybe 2003 i don't know it was a long time ago yeah, it might have been two thousand three. It might have been two thousand three. Um, it was yeah. when it, it was in the you were playing in the morning. It wasn't the afternoon. Yeah. So it was that's two thousand three. Yeah, yeah two thousand three. We, we drove a long way just to play. It was a, a our it was our our showcase for Tooth and Nail Records. Mm-hmm. And, Us too. Yeah. We weren't signed. Yeah. I mean, we were we were we, neither of us were signed. That's one thing that was so cool about those Tooth and Nail days. Um, is they would have the tent. They added that on at Cornerstone, the Tooth and Nail Day, and then took those tents over, had the best shows, and then they would put bands on to showcase them in the morning. I think we played at 10.30 or something yeah. like that. I don't know. And you must have played at 11. And we yeah, were getting was- both getting signed. That was a process of getting signed was getting to play on Tooth and Nail Day. And the most incredible show you could ever have, but we'd never had a show anywhere near that good before, you know? I know, so, man. Like, you show up on day one, the bar was set way too high. We're like, oh, yeah. we'll never attain that again. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was awesome. Yeah, I totally remember that. Um, 
And how? And we were older. I mean, we were a late start kind of band. But how old were you then? Getting to do that, coming uh, all the way down. Twenty. Twenty. Maybe. Yeah, two thousand three. Yeah. I would have been just yeah twenty. Yeah, we're just slightly older than that. But uh, that's crazy. Just a long, long time ago, and started at the, about the same time and all that. Um, and that was twenty years ago. Pretty I, amazing. I still am, but I just I want to just say before we go. On. I was a huge Emery fan. Your first album, man, was like, that was like, that was on our road days, just driving around in our van and trailer. Uh, your album, uh, I don't know, like maybe Under Oath, you know, those were, those were our go-tos all the time, man. So that's awesome. I listened, I listened to Walls this morning, even. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Appreciate yeah. it. Um, and so then we would bump into you many more times, but it was stuff like, I think this is kind of interesting. It's like you would be, it would be creation fest, fringe stage, stuff like that. And then, you know, that's like I said, that South Dakota fest is the last time I remember. Do you remember what year that was? Uh, probably 2010, 2011, maybe. And that one was interesting because it's like, who, what festival, what is in South Dakota? It was the only time we played South Dakota. And it's a, um, one fact I'm proud of is that Emory's played in all 50 states. But that was, all right. that was our, it was like, yes, we're going to get South Dakota. Crossed Somehow off checked off. It. Yeah, and we did that. But uh, what do you remember about that one? Uh, <laughs> the thing I remember about that is the after party. Yeah, that's um, right. I don't I remember. remember too. We all went out afterwards, and it was like I would joke about it to this day because nowadays I joke. Um, if I'm up past ten o'clock, I look at my wife or my friends and I'm like, "We should probably just stay up." Because that was one of those nights, you know, you're out to like three or four in the morning. You're like, oh, "We should probably just stay up." That was mm-hmm. one of those nights where you just powered through and then fly to the next show, and we regretted it for like three days afterwards. But uh, yeah, I do remember that where we were up way too late. And up way too early to fly out and festival and summer season, man, or summer festival season. That's right. And what were the what was the after party? Where did we go? What did we do? Do you remember? I just I remember singing karaoke somewhere or <laughs> listening to someone sing randomly, and yeah, let's just say it was a bit fog, bit uh, bit foggy. We'll just yeah, say I, that. Yeah, I hear you. I hear <laughs> making you. memories, buddy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so what? one thing that's really neat to me about Hawk Nelson is, uh, you know, with this podcast and when I just think of the, the scene in general and Tooth and Nail particularly, there's just these hotbeds of talent that emerge in the early, you know, late 90s and early 2000s and is very regional as the Internet comes on. These, these you know, there's people been trying to do this kind of stuff DIY, independent, making noise, making music, getting together. And it just kind of, just the very early parts of the internet allow these regional scenes to kind of emerge and then connect and then get noticed as you go from mail order to internet type, that early part of that. And so there's Southeast, there's Southern California, there's Seattle. I mean, there's lots of hot, hot pockets everywhere, but Canada is one, you know, I don't know what, how do you describe the region of Canada that Ontario is in? Do you just say Eastern Canada or what do you say? Yeah, we're, we're like, we're like Southern Ontario. Mm -hmm. So where, where I am, I'm about an hour and a bit Northeast of Toronto. 
Mm -hmm. um, which is Southern Ontario, really. And so we're kind of like the gateway to the North where we are. We're like, it starts getting into the middle of nowhere, you know, Mm -hmm. we're on the air. It's like, there's not, we're not in a big city, but Toronto is like our, it's the big smoke for us. Right. Yeah. Toronto Um, seems to be the centrality of where the talent, you know, Toronto and Vancouver, man, that's Mm -hmm. it. And then there's nothing in between really aside from like Winnipeg and Edmonton, but those don't count. Come on. Well, Canada is a like I have a special fascination with Canada in that it seems like there's an extreme amount of talent for the small population in the country of Canada centering mainly around you know Toronto um it, it just it like uh that's in acting and in comedy and in music it seems that the output per you know human in Canada is is it seems extreme to me do you think that's yeah, the case? It's funny. Yeah, it's funny. I actually heard Jim Carrey say that in an interview once, and I, I 100% agree with him. It was like, we have nothing to do here. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, I, I don't come outside in the wintertime. It sucks in the winter. So, like, we're just slowly starting to emerge now that the weather's nice. And, but, like, when you're cooped up in the winter, let's just, you just, as, especially as a teenager, you just hunker down and just play your guitar and write music, and just, that's all you would do. And then, summer you just come out and you know live a little mm-hmm. and then after those three months are up you come back down and write some more and i think that's just that's the case for all sorts of arts not just music but like you said acting and even even though the hockey players we have here it's right just, right you know it's, it's just yeah yeah i was gonna say creativity but yeah you're right i think the the sports is i think is a high output of at least the sport that you you know, you focus yeah. on up there, but all the people, all the people that live outside in the winter will become athletes. And maybe I just the cold weather makes guys. you a harder, <laughs> yeah. you, you have, yeah. more, I mean, like people laying around the beach near the equator, not as much output. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. I don't know. Maybe I yeah. don't know. Um, but, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's the creativity and intellect seem, seem pretty dense to me. So it's like, uh, especially just, you know, uh, in our, whole world like when you take just the bands as Silverstein and Alexis on Fire and Monine and Boys Night Out and what Billy Talent and Billy yeah. Talent yeah, it's like it's just like that those bands are good they come all from a similar location and they are all hilarious not all but most of the many of the people in those bands are incredible personalities and very funny like better to be around than most americans <laughs> i, don't know I do find is. most canadians or at least the people i hang out with we're all very uh self-deprecating that, i think Especially that's what i like <laughs> you know what i mean it's just yeah that's it i don't yeah. th- even myself like i don't take anything too serious mm-hmm. and i never have and i think that's gotten me in trouble more than it probably you know but it's just i don't mm-hmm. know i just Go with the flow, man. <laughs> I think that's it. I think you hit on it there. I think that that's helping me put some language to to my feelings. But yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's all. I mean, it's all going to be fun. It's fun. Like it's just fun. It's. But you know. So for whatever that that's an interesting thing. And then the talent that I want to talk about specifically that comes from there in your relationship in more detail is with Trevor McNeven, um, from TFK, whatever else that he's done because it's a lot. Yeah. His output is insane. He is. Um, I think he's underappreciated as a very special person. I've, I've spent some time with him and understand him a little bit. And he is on some slightly higher level than other people in a way that I, st- I don't have a, the, the best grip on. But it's there's more going on with him than, you know, many people who have his albums, you know, 
or yeah. don't realize what all he does or how he does it or the, what his presence is like. And I don't know yes. him that well. I've been in the studio with him and done some things and, you know, seen him perform, you know, I know him pretty good, but, uh, I know you know him really well, so I was wondering if you could talk about him, you know, as a person, and then how your story begins, and you know, yeah. with him. This is a great place to dive into. So, um, yeah, I've known Trevor since I, gosh, I was probably seven years old. Um, his younger brother and I are the same age. Um, we went to school, church together, the whole thing. We're from the same hometown. Um, we're still we're still about twenty minutes from each other today. So. Um, we just, that's always been our relationship. I've always, I always admired him from the time I was a little kid, from the time he was 13 years old, he was always making music and I always had an interest in music. I never thought I'd ever make a career out of music, but I always, I always enjoyed music. I enjoyed playing music, but I, he was always in a band and I always like looked up to it. Like he was playing shows and like there'd be local shows. So we'd go and we'd support and like love the music. And this is at a young age. Um, and this is the first story that pops in my mind, and I'm sure we got time. So Plenty anyway, time. he uh, there was this little church cafe. It was like in the basement of a church on, I think it was like Saturday nights. They'd open it up, and like it was for for like youth, like 13 to 18 or whatever it was. And I was, I think I was 12 at the time because I knew I wasn't old enough. And Trev's four years older than me, so he would have been 16. He had a car, and uh, he called my parents' phone, asked if, if I wanted to go to his show with him. Um, so I'm like, of course I'm going to go. And so I went with him and helped him load in and watching them play. And um, for some, whatever reason, I, I, cause I was 12 and I was, I was like that weird, awkward kid. I didn't, you know, I'm, I think I'm a lot more introverted than people expect me to be. Um, I, I do better in, in <laughs> no crowd than, with a crowd of people. But anyways, I was there with a big crowd of people and I, I didn't know who to sit with, where to stand. I was just that awkward kid because I wasn't supposed to be there because I was too young. Anyways, halfway through the set, he just called me up on stage. Wow. And I don't know why. I think he thought it was a good idea. Like, I'll give him a chance. And I grabbed the mic and started freestyling and I fell off the stage onto a group of girls that are sitting cross-legged on the floor. They're all sipping their tea and the tea went over all of them and I was... <laughs> that was like yeah that was my introduction to uh entertainment i'm like i was born to do this clearly um yeah and i've never yeah i don't think i've ever forgotten that story it'll, it'll never i'll never i'll never live it down oh yeah um, anyways, i bet that was a quite an experience what did he have the sense that i mean how did you how did he know you were going to do that and how did you know what was that moment of going into freestyle and like did you it just happened or you you did that or he what was the well, because, like, back in the day, TFK were, like, kind of like Rage Against the Machine. Like, it was just more like, it was rock rap, really, mm -hmm. um, in the early days. And, like, it was good. It was cool. And I just thought I was, I was just trying to, uh, to to carry on. And he called me up. I'm like, I didn't know. I, I was 12, and it was just really embarrassing. But I, you I'm, took I'm, it, I'm like... like but you dove into it. It doesn't sound like you were timid. Like you say, you're the awkward kid standing there, but it sounds like I'm just guessing from what you say. It sounds like I, you went off when you got up there and embraced it moment. But I will thrive on a stage, but if I'm in the crowd, I'm like, I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, mm. that's, that's for real. But anyways, that was, that's one funny story. Um, as he got older, um, you know, he always, you just always knew he was kind of like, he'd always have something good going for him. Like he was destined to do something well. You know, you could just tell you got a lot of people or people, 
certain people have that vibe about them, you know? Yeah, there's a presence um, to him. Is it, a it's, a cal- exactly. it's a calm focus, high yeah. awareness, confidence, something like that. Yeah, and whatever he puts his mind to, he's going to get, right? And and I knew that without even knowing what that was at that age. But he'd always come back. And, you know, Hawk Nelson started – I started that band when I was 17. I kind of decided in high school, like, that's this is what I want to do, right? Um, Trev, he'd always, he'd always been like a, a voice. He's always a sounding block for us, always checking in how we're doing. And um, he was on tour, and like, he had been in the States. And I'd never even been to the States at this point in my life. Um, and he'd come back and tell stories of the road, like 20,000 people. Like he's talking about creation fest and things were like things that kids dream of doing, right. He's doing it. And like, he's showing us photos, like, this is unbelievable. And, uh, he just asked us what we we're up to. And I showed him a demo that we'd been working on and he could just kind of tell that we weren't just kind of messing around. Like we, 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 as a band, we'd all take a hundred bucks out of every paycheck we got. And we put nice. it into like a band fund to build, what, to build it, some it, money. What age was this? Uh, this was like seventeen. Yeah, that's um, that's awesome. I love hearing yeah, stuff like, like so that. Yeah, so he knew there was, and there was a pretty big scene here. Like when we were growing up, there was like you know fifteen bands, and we all knew each other. We all played around and played together, and it was a really good camaraderie, you know. And it was that really, self-organizing really good thing where you're self-organizing and thinking ahead and building resources. Yeah. Like that's 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 when you when you see that happening, that's going somewhere. Like that that's not right. typical seventeen-year-old behavior to. Think and, ahead, and this was, save money, invest in, in the, your future. That's amazing. Yeah. And, of course, times have changed now. This is, like, pre-internet. So we're, like, the internet was pretty new. So we're, like, we, we got to get a website. You know, we got to get this. We need to get a we need to get a good EP. And, like, EPs were costing, like, you know, a guy did it for, like, 10 grand or whatever it was. And back then, that was, like, a good deal, you know. Now you can do it in your basement. Now that we all know how to do that. But back in the day, we didn't have the ability to do that, right? So... We'd all put our money in, and we just didn't expect to get it back. That was just our investment. And uh, I think Trev saw that and saw what we were trying to do. Um, you know, you listen back now, you're like, the songs were terrible. But the idea and the heart behind what we were trying to accomplish was 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 big. And he saw that, and he saw the energy that we wanted to do. And um, he brought his songwriting skills and talent to us and helped uh, for the first two albums with Hawk and uh, – just yeah he co-produced the first album with aaron sprinkle um mm-hmm. right after mm-hmm. you guys did yours too i believe mm-hmm. um yeah so that whole process is interesting in itself but it's so um it sounds like you know trevor is thinking on the levels there of of uh like he's he gets in makes this deal with brandon i remember brandon being really big on what's going to happen with with TFK and Trevor as a person. And it, you could tell he was almost A&R, all thinking about A&R, like developing talent, as well as having yeah. his band, as well as putting himself in the position to co-produce with Aaron Sprinkle in 2004 or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's smart. <laughs> that's smart it's stuff to put yourself yeah. right in the driver's seat of all three of those from, de- like, right at the outset. So that that's really notable. But like, yeah, like, I mean, that's, a, that's not only a business mind on his part, but also just a heart thing. Like he's, he's got the biggest heart, you know? And even to this day, like he, he cares, like he, he cares about the people he's, he's a, he's a great role model. And even to this day, you know? Um, so yeah, like, um, so back again, tooth and nail day, we did some writing with him and, and did like a three song EP. And then, um, 
just always getting his getting us places. And I remember he canceled a couple dates. I think he like was on vocal rest or something, or something came up. Um, we were he had a show in Indiana, and he canceled. He's like, hey, is we can't TFK can't do this. He's like, but I've got a band. If you guys want them, I'll let them know, and they'll gladly do it. And he he gave them our name. And we got the call, and we're like, this is amazing. We're going to the United States. We're going to play. And then we showed up, and we drove like 12 hours to Indiana and played the show. And that's where we met guys like uh, Dave Pelsey from Kids in the Way. Um, they also were doing like their showcase at that thing as well. and they Or they just signed a whatever label they were with. And we hit it off with them, and just relationships were building from that mm-hmm. point. And then two months later, we did the Tooth and Nail day. Awesome. And, awesome. Yeah. And that leads to being signed. And you've already you were already writing with Trevor and playing songs that you co-wrote with Trevor before Correct. you were yeah. signed. Okay. Yeah. So so he's really investing at that level. You're investing in yourself. Yeah, it could have fallen and, apart and he yeah. but he still put all the time and energy into to Amazing. he believed in us. That was really cool. Amazing. Yeah. And so and so then you're signed and ramps up to again, you're on the same track as us, so you get put into the uh factory of, you know, a, Tooth and Nail contract and Aaron Sprinkle a month booked with Aaron Sprinkle in what mid uh, mid two thousand four no I mean, right two thousand and yeah uh, we we flew we flew in uh, we flew in January two thousand four yeah to record it right and so you're in at the compound with Sprinkle and Trevor's there the whole time and you and you've uh, already co-written remember, yeah. the record with Trevor. Correct. Yeah, that sounds like a very smooth experience. Can you? What do you? Can you tell me about that? Oh, it was flawless process. Like, yeah, I, I, it's. I think about it, like some of my fondest memories were the first time ever going to the compound. That was my mm. first time on an airplane. You know, flying over. I was like that. <laughs> I was like that weird kid, like with my digital camera taking pictures at the window, like every three minutes. Like, oh, that's so cool. And, um, but we got to Seattle. Um, we flew all day or whatever, and. Got there, we checked in, got picked up at the airport. I think John Dunn picked us up, mm-hmm. you know, because he was our A&R. We got to meet him and meet everybody. They took us to the Cheesecake Factory and paid for our dinner. And we're like, this is amazing. We all took work off to go record for like, we were there for three weeks. Um, and just, we'd never experienced anything like that before, right? Like a full recording studio and like with a real producer and mix engineer and like three different rooms to record and like gear and like, guys setting up our drums for us it was just it was just something we'd never ever done before and um then we got to go upstairs and sleep like we just wake up in the morning come down make coffee and just do it again like it was it was like every kid in the band's dream Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you can relate to that it was just it was just awesome and then um i remember jr mcneely was there kind of started on mixes and one of the songs the first song he started mixing was a song we recorded called first time and he started playing it back to me and no word of a lie, Matt. I, I thought it was a joke. I was like, that's not us. Like that's, that's, you're just playing something else. And he's like, that's, that's the song. And I knew it was the song. I was like, there's no way that's, that sounds so awesome. I, I, just, I couldn't believe how good it sounded. First time in my own life. I'm not afraid of feeling alive. For the last time I've already And I'm like, if this whole album sounds like this, I'm like, this is gonna be crazy. Like, we're like, we're like legit. Like, that's how it felt, you know. Um, it was, it was, awesome. it was an unbelievable experience. I'm still very, very thankful to this day to have met Aaron Sprinkle and Jr. That whole team, man, they're unbelievable. 
Yeah, Sprinkle is a special, I mean, yeah, a lot of special people in there, but it's just that time period is really neat because the orbits are all so similar, and it's almost like it's a factory, but it it's so not a factory because, you know, it's the, all the processes and all the records turn out so different. But, I mean, it's all, you almost would say, well, everything, the art was all of these people, the mix was always JR, the Sprinkle, but the, the real artists like those guys are doing something different every time based on the art that's the thing that's coming in there and yeah. so it's just it's just a it's just a concentration of trusted relationships of talent but the out the inputs and the outputs are very different no matter even if it's the same thing but it's focused just enough so it's a really special window of time where yeah especially especially when you're a new band you you have no choice but to trust them mm-hmm and, you know, you see, I've seen other guys where, like, they, they're brand new and they just, they kind of want to run the show. Like, well, my, this is how we do it. And the guy's like, no, this is how we're going to do it. And I've never been a guy like, we're going to do it my way. I'm always, I want to learn. And I feel like I learned so much in that three-week time to the point where I'm writing now. If, like, I'll do demos from home here, but the production elements that I'll input are the things that Sprinkle taught me. Mm-hmm. Or I learned just by watching and listening to what he's done. Mm-hmm. Um It'll never come out the same way he does it, but it's still the idea is here, you know. He had some story. I don't. It just triggered in my memory, but he has some story about the drums getting screwed up and how he fixed it on something weird on one of your songs. I can't remember what it is. Do you remember that? Is something got screwed up in a track and he did something to fix it where it was like panned and stereo and he phase canceled it? I don't. Know, it doesn't matter. But um, oh yeah, I, that does sound familiar now that you mention it. I don't remember the exact. It just popped in my head, but huh. um, but I know what you mean. Just like when you absorb a process at that level, you 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 takes there's stuff that comes back that you use years and years later. When in the moment yeah. you don't even realize what you're seeing, you go, "Oh, that was this," yep. and that's how that you know that kind of thing. So that's a, what a way to start. And then you at the same time, the the marketing engine and the ability to push Hawk Nelson out there was just very powerful in 2004 or what you know so what do you remember of launching into never been on an airplane now you have this record and now stuff what are the things that just happened that blew your mind next yeah well i mean even it was just cool like i was you know to be honest i was a huge tooth and nail fan like as a kid mm-hmm. like i grew up on mxpx you know even the oc supertones like you know i was that church kid that like liked mxpx like that's the music i listened to and i knew that they were a tooth nail band so like tooth nail was like we had sent our demo to like you know i used to work in like a hospital like i like a little toll booth and i had the internet on my lunch and i'd look up record labels and i'd email them and again email was fairly new so i'm like hey i'm jason this is my bank you check out my band like do you have a address i could send our cd to like we couldn't even do digital back then and like i just remember tooth nail was like the top one i wanted you know, then there was like, uh, oh gosh, who was the other one? Because uh, I love something corporate back then too. Um, oh, like Pure Noise and all those guys, you know, like just all these labels. But like Tooth and Nail were the top one. And so when we got there, and like I remember just recording, and then Evil would just walk in while we're recording. I just get so nervous, like, oh my gosh, Brandon Evil's here right now. Like the president of Tooth and Nail is here right now. I'm like, oh, this is unbelievable. Like it just, it didn't seem real, right? Um, and then we, I remember while we were in the studio up at the little condo area, we'd have, we had like three or four different managers fly in to meet with us. And we got to do like this whole interview process. And we're mm-hmm. like, 
you know, I was 20 years old. Like we, I was just, it was just so cool. Like I, I think I'm still a little giddy even to this day as an adult, but like the thought, the fact that people cared about us, I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And they wanted to support where we were going. And, um, one of the managers that came in and it was Teresa Davis. She only flew in. She said no to meet us, but her flight got canceled or delayed. So she had to stay in Seattle. So Brandon ended up bringing her to the studio and she ended up managing us for gosh, close to probably eight years. Um, and I, I do give a lot of credit to her as well for, you know, just getting us on tours and, you know, making sure we had placements in the right, in the right. Cause you know, as kids, I, I said earlier, all, all you have to do is you have nothing to do but to trust. Right. And we trusted her direction with where she was going to take us. And, um, it worked well for, for many years. And, uh, again, a lot of credit goes to her too. How did you see the, um, you know, the trajectory where you wanted it to go and the interface with that and Christianity and, you know, where it's cause like that, the, the words that come up for me with you guys and just at a base level is the punk, like it's punk, it's punk and pop punk. That's there. It feels punk the look of it, the, you know, it just, that's coming across and also that it's Christian. And then where, where does, what trajectory do you want that to take yeah. at the time and how did it unfold? Yeah. It's, that's, it's a great question because before we were signed, you know, we weren't a Christian band, you know, we were just, we were a local band, like those 15 other bands. We just played shows together. It didn't matter if they were Christian bands or not. There were, we didn't play churches. We just, we had like three or four clubs here in town we just alternate do them all once a month, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they're great shows. Like, you know, if you could, if you could squeeze 150 people into one of those rooms, it's packed, it's a packed house, you know, and we'd always pack it out. And it was, that's just how we did our thing. And, um, and again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but once we signed, we became what well, we became the Christian good Charlotte. Okay. That's, that's what we were. You, and, became, you, know, you, you weren't, you didn't, you weren't that and you became that. Right. But that's what we became. And like, you know, you see the, the old CCM magazines where it was like, mm -hmm. if you like Blink-182 or Good Charlotte, you will like Hawk Nelson. You know, like it was just, that's the thing we would joke about. But at the, at that time, I'm like, oh my gosh, we've made it. Like we're in a magazine. Like that's sick. Like, you know, and. Was that, what was the intention or discussion that preceded you weren't that and became that? Where, where was that? Was that a decision? It, How was I it? Think it just, it... I think it was one of the things that gradually happened over time. Mm -hmm. um, I remember distinctly, and, you know, and we were a four-piece band, and we are all owners of the band. So some people wanted to do, you know, we all had different views, right? Um, it's easier seeing this in hindsight. But, like, to be honest with you, if we had a chance to play House of Blues in Chicago to 10 people, I would prefer to do that. Mm -hmm. Whereas there's a church down the street that there's going to be 500 kids there for a youth conference. If you play that, you get an hour set. They're going to pay you two grand. They're going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm like, yeah, but we mm -hmm. should have just did House of Blues to build it. And and then, yeah. but, I, but that's how it goes. And you get stuck doing churches. And that's how it goes. So that was really the choice that was always there. That actually was the first difficult choice um, for people was – you had to literally, if you wanted to not be totally pigeonholed in a Christian, the, in the youth groupie, the whatever that was going to be, you would have to actively turn down things that were 
opportunities that you totally wanted that paid money that were good that were coming yeah. your way and then go do stuff where yes you're going to play for t- like and then maybe you could if you only go do the club shows for 10 people with the right bands will you gain enough momentum and credibility to Correct. eventually make money or have but you know that's no guarantee and is almost it's just, impossible it's to, to turn down the things that are there unless you have a very strong result you know so it doesn't and and plus you are christian you do have these values you, you know yeah. like like on letters to the president it's like the song i'm hearing is the song what comes in my mind is california and that i don't think yeah. of that is christian correct it, and there's you know? no none of our songs were like blatantly like religious you know what i mean so like it, no matter which way you look at it matt like if we play churches which we did i'd say 90 percent of the time there's always going to be a group of people that are like, these guys aren't Christian. What are they doing here? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you go, if we do want to do a club, some people are like, oh, that's awesome. They're out there in the world doing what they're supposed to do. Then those people are like, oh, they shouldn't be out there. It's, there was no winning. So right. it just, we just kind of had to just make a decision and go for it. Um, easier said so, than done, of course. But the, it seems like the label, Trevor, the, Everything did say, okay, we're going to roll this direction. We're going to try to get to radio. You got that. What was it? You got like the Reader's Choice at CCM Best New Band in 2006. You know, like you, you, and then your touring opportunities seemed to then unfold in that way. Yeah. But like, again, that was a big shift for us because we started doing like, I think it was 2006, 2007. That was basically the height of our career, right? Because we had the Yours, Mine, and Ours thing drop and that was huge for us like that gave us a huge audience um christian and non you know to be on a movie like that was that was huge for us what was that um, tell me that tell me the details of that uh, so we got asked to do uh, the movie yours mine and ours with renee russo and dennis quaid and that was 2006 i believe mm-hmm. or 2005 whatever it was but it was massive that was that was the the pinnacle of our career like to get that uh, and then we just basically rode that wave <laughs> it was no more <laughs> What, you were just on the soundtrack? We were, and in the movie. You were in the movie as the band yeah, we playing in the, in the movie, background? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I, exactly. just, I, I know that. I don't know the de- – I can't quite remember, but that's that's yeah, right. So, so there's a scene in that movie. Like, do you what, ha- what all happens in that part of the movie? So in the movie, uh, the mom and dad, which is played by Rene Russo and Dennis Quaid, they go on a date and they leave the, all 12 or 13 kids or whatever it is at home alone. And the kids just throw this massive party and destroy the house. Nice, yeah, yeah. And they bring right. they bring right. in a band, and we're the band that plays. And the band at the uh, house also, party with the parents. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, then yeah. the parents come home and kick us all out, and yeah, it was awesome. And then two of our songs were in the in the soundtrack as well. And how did that? Um, you get that? We did. Um, we did a showcase in Nashville uh, about a year prior. Um, it was for uh, it was like an NBC showcase. Mm-hmm. So all these, or sorry, it was just it was just TV, film and TV showcase. Um, and we showed up. We drove from Ontario down to Nashville. It took us 17 hours. We got there almost late, and all these like legitimate bands were there. And again, I've I never ever, even to this day, would never put us in a even with you. I would never put us in a category with you guys. We're always like trying to get there. You know what I mean? And. Uh, I, I remember showing up at all these bands. This is one guy who's a guitar player for Keith Urban. And I'm like, oh, this guy is unbelievable. And all these bands are like so good. And they're all playing. And I'm like, we wasted our time to drive here, guys. Like, these guys are going to hate us. Like, and we get up there, crack a few jokes, and like, eh, you know. And then we end up playing the show. And then these, all these other bands would just play. And then they pack up their stuff and then leave. Whereas we're like, well, we 
we drove 17 hours to be here. We're going to get our money's worth. There's free food. We're going to stick around, play pool. And without meaning to, we just were rubbing elbows with all these music execs without trying to. We're just mm-hmm. happy-go-lucky guys that wanted to hang out and get a free meal. And we ended up winning their hearts over, not because, probably not because of our music, just because we were personable and we just liked to hang out and we were fun and just self-deprecating mm-hmm. and just like to have a good time. Um, and that landed us the American Dreams gig. We portrayed The Who on NBC's American Dreams in 2005, which spun to be Yours, Mine, and Ours a year later. So it was all kind of connected from that cool. one one showcase we did. Um, cool. Yeah, it worked out for for sure. And so that you consider that the peak time. You just had everything going. There was momentum from that and more discovery and sales and everything from Yeah, because then – because then we could go and do our own tours. Like suddenly we were headlining and, you know, we were doing one to 2000 seaters a night, you know, and that was, that was huge. Like, that's very I, huge. I would love that to this day. That's amazing. Like, oh, yeah. And, and we did that for a really a long, I'd say a year. And then we started getting the winter jam invites and, you know, the big 10,000 seaters were suddenly crazy. We're playing 15 minutes to 10,000 people, but you don't dare to see us. You know what I mean? So it's like... Yeah, so what all of those? You did the Jeremy Camp and a Toby Mac. Yeah, and exactly. Like, what and were you those? you get on these where you're playing 50 minutes. It looks great on social media, which didn't exist back then. But, yeah. like, it was just... Yeah, and then it just kind of... Kind of... Yeah, that that wave was slowly starting to uh, to decline, you know? So you so those th- kind of things, they're like giant places or even arenas. And what is... I mean, I never spend any time in that. You know, tell me what that environment is like, and you're it's, playing 15 it's minutes. It's a whole and... different world, man. You like, like it was Fridays or the, I don't forget what the dates. It was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, and then you're home, and then you go back out again for three days, and then you're home again. It was, it's beautiful if you're an artist. You're like, sweet, this is awesome. You just hop on a bus and they pay for it, and you know, but. You're not and the really... show's 15 minutes of people that maybe know who you are, but it's giant. Like, what's that exactly? What's the... It's like a it, it's the biggest youth. I mean, it's like Winter Jam is that today. That's the best example of it. Of what Winter yeah, Jam is like, that's right? That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, like it was just kind of starting up then. But you know, there was ten thousand people every night. So, and then yeah, I think then we ended up doing a bunch with Toby, uh, Mercy Me, all these guys. They're all doing like arenas, you know. And it's just it wasn't. They need an edgy. Awesome. They need an edgy punk band to be. Yeah, the, we just to, bring to, the energy and then right, yeah, bring the energy, just, right? Yeah. And if you play Creation Festival, they're going to put you on the French stage, right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Um, yeah. That's where yeah. we play together at Cornerstone and the uh, French stage of Creation. That's right. It's the best. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very. A thousand cool. degrees, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That. Okay. So that. Yeah. That's a. That's a really good way to to see the whole picture how it crosses over because it's very. I mean, I get for us it was always. Okay, we can't do church tours. We just had to say no. We can't do yes. church, even shows. I mean, sometimes stuff in church. Or but we will do these festivals because they'll pay so good. And if we go do them, nobody even like the rest of the mainstream crowd or whatever we were, you know, general market. It would we would say yep. doesn't even know that these other things exist if we just show up and do one and get paid. Yeah. 
on a on a fly out to whatever, then we could do those and make some money at least, and then we'll yeah. go back to the club, rock clubs or whatever and making a hundred dollars a night or something. So that was the way we would yeah. do that strategy um, that kind of would overlap. But we but because no they, people wouldn't even know that they existed if you play this festival or that festival. So yeah, kind, you know, and it was still hard to you know maintain and manage because you feel like if I would go farther there, would I would play arenas? But is that show's not the same as the show? Because you know after that you go tooth and nail tour. Right? Yeah. Tell me about that one. What year was that? That was, um, I think that was 2007. 2007. And I'm, pr- I'm proud to say that was all my doing because I was like, guys, all I wanted to do my whole career was to do Warp Tour. That's all I wanted to get on. That's that's That was like maybe the reason I even started playing music. I just wanted to, you know, like Tony Hawk Pro Skater is what made me who I am today. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, to always to see warp tour to be on it would have been just like a dream we never ever did it because there wasn't enough money or you know it didn't it didn't work with you know it just and that always kind of bothered me um so the compromise was well what about the tooth and nail tour with mxpx i'm like okay let's please let's do that at least you know and so we got to do that and of course it it the tickets were as expected you know but it wasn't like we just coming off like doing you know ten thousand seat tour which wasn't ours but you know if you're photographing photographing every night you'd be like what happened to these guys last night they're paying for ten thousand. now there's like 80 people at a little club in boston you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um but i loved it it was amazing we'd eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for dinner like that was catering it was great and um it didn't pay bills but i i love that we got to play with mxpx um they're still one of my favorite bands to this day Mm-hmm. Um, and just be able to get to hang out with them, and that—that that was a dream. That's um, awesome. What was uh, classic crime and classic crimes? Uh, Sullivan else? was on it. Sullivan um, for a little bit. Oh, and then the fold. The fold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and how did it, everybody get along on that? That was a good. That was a a good tour. Oh yeah, and like I, I'm a fan of like I I just love going on the road and like. I'm like, oh gosh, like I love, dude. I'm like, dude, I love you. I love your music. Like, I grew up listening to you. Like, I was, I was always that guy. I always have been, you know. And I think, I feel like dance. Like, if someone said that to me, I'd for sure appreciate it. No one's ever said that to me, but I feel like I would appreciate if someone said that to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but like, I don't know just be able to 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 get to know and meet and know Mike Herrera. I was like, this is a dream. Like, it was awesome. And um, yeah. So that in the- itself is worth it. The longer and now Mike plays for my favorite band of all time. So Goldfinger, yeah, they've always been my favorite band since I was like 15 years old. Amazing, and they're still my favorite band. So yeah, yeah. The longer time goes on with Mike and MXPX, and it's just like if you zoom out, you know. And I'm not trying to be obnoxious, but just music history, you know, punk rock is a bit is really something in all of music history. Like there's, do you know what I mean? You go from all the way through, if you study music history and then you come up mm-hmm. into American rock and then you have the decades that are on XM 60s, 70s, 80s channels, not, you know, punk music, punk rock, and just what that means. Like you say, warp tour or whatever. And then there's that, the biggest icons of that. But I mean, MXPX is the, the the longer, top, longer the time goes on and you just say punk. I mean, it's, it's, it's there. It's in that. I yeah. mean, it's it's really a mark that is going to be known far and wide for a long time, you know, 
it, it just just to the and and just simply under the category of like you know punk. It's like yeah. oh, you almost start to see Mike Herrera. You know, it's pretty one hundred percent, man. Yeah. That's really amazing. He's so, you know, cool, accessible dude that's just just doing the same stuff as you or whatever, friend, all that kind of stuff. What does punk mean to you? Like just when that just that thing, what is the spirit? What's the importance? Uh the yeah, values. So what what comes up for you under that category? It's it's funny. That is a that is a big difference. Like I, I think the uh I always hated the term Christian punk. <laughs> it's not even a thing. Like I, I guess for me it's Finding something that you believe in, which I guess Christianity basically is punk in a nutshell. If like mm-hmm. if you're standing true to what you believe, agree, and not backing down from it, that I, I suppose that is what punk is. Um, but how often do we do that without backing down? I guess is the question. Um, but for me, like we didn't we didn't really have a thing that we wanted to be like. This is what we're standing up for. But punk is about just, not backing down. Is that like that's what's in in my in my opinion standing up for your beliefs yeah, or yeah, even obnoxiously putting them out there and standing yeah. behind them. Yeah, yeah. Even if even if it causes conflict, you it's like you know you could be you know it's just you're gonna. I think it's more it's your, more intended yeah. to cause conflict. Yeah, to, yeah, <laughs> with the intention of of yeah. uh, being at least contrarian but it's it's more it's a more aggressive than simply being contrarian but it's backed it is backed by some value you think it's not just be like well, the, it should be it's like oh yeah. old people say punk is just like you're just being obnoxious for the sake of it but there's something behind it typically Granted, i'm the sure power. there were people that just wanted to have that just so they could feel that uh you know fit that that thing but mm-hmm. yeah i mean if you think back to the early days of like i don't know the one band I think of, also Canadian, Propagandi. Remember them? Mm-hmm. I just remember they were always like, I just remember they were always, their earlier albums, like, I was never allowed to listen to, but like, I remember listening to them and be like, geez, these guys are really like political. And like, but mm-hmm. they really, they really stood for what they believed and for, for, for like a political standpoint, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they never backed down from that. And I'm pretty sure they're still doing that, you know? Yeah. So it seems like Christian punk can mean something like in like political Christian vegan yeah. hardcore hardcore vegan punk you know like these yeah. these things behind it that give this extra layer um and then there's just the surface level of punk as a aesthetic for record sales or whatever you know that that there's that too yeah and um so what so that was was there a tension in that and the christian and the punk and what what happens you know how does this go you know, from there, as you try to surf this landscape from, from there to the time that you leave the band, are these that, I don't know what the factors are. Yeah. There, but so, are, I don't yeah, know if they're I mean, entangled or not. I think, yeah, all these are kind of connected because during this time, Christian radio started shifting, right? It went from, you know, they're playing rock radio to suddenly it's like, they're trying to get more, uh, what do you call it? AC. So, you know, what is AC adult contemporary, uh, adult contemporary. So that was like the big thing. It's like, and, Management was always like, you guys, you got to shift it to get more. You need more songs for, for, for radio. And I was like, and I had started feeling this. And I'd, I'd mentioned a few times, like, guys, like, for, inju- for uh, sorry, when we went back to Winter Jam for the 15 minutes, like, well, we got to play our three radio songs. Like, well, all of our, all of our radio songs are like mid-tempo or ballads. I'm like, I don't want to play those three songs. Like, that sucks. Mm. Like, I want to give the energy, you know? And that, that started creating tension for me where I was like, so now we're just playing the songs they can just listen to on the radio. Like that's, is it, is this why we're, is this, 
it got a, a little bit weird for me and i started questioning that kind of thing what were those and tracks then, what songs are those uh, everything you were... ever wanted was our big one i tried to be Uh, zero was another one, um, and whatever the third one was, it was all pretty, pretty mid tempo, man. It was just they weren't fun to play live, and you knew you had to give people those. If you're doing like a, an hour and a half set, sure you bring those out, but like when you have 15 minutes, you got to play those three songs. Like, come on, and you wrote those for like when you wrote those ballads, they were for they were starting to aim them at radio. Correct. Okay. But and but like you know when you're when you're planning to write the album you always like okay we'll pick these three songs right but then as the records started going as we had to make more records like suddenly every song had to be for radio and like suddenly we're trying to write ten songs for radio but radio was shifting so suddenly our, our albums were like pretty like there were there wasn't much rock element to them at all and I hated it I didn't enjoy it at all mm -hmm. um to the to the point where the last one I was like I'm I don't even want I didn't even want to do it. And I I had kind of tapped out completely, um, and we might be jumping ahead of ourselves here, but no, yeah, I, th I mean this is I mean this is you're satisfying my curiosity very well here okay. in, in this right. exact area because I mean it could have be so many different ways, but that actually it, it makes a lot of sense without me you know I didn't know your internal feelings or you know, talked yeah, about anything I like just, that, but you know we that makes sense. We you're pulled toward we the, the radio yeah. commercially, but you have now in some ways from your uh, you have an internal conflict because you have gotten away from what you originally were doing that happened to land in that, oh, the pop punk high energy. That was the d commercial demand right at the time when you what you were doing yeah. organically matched up with that exact market. With demand. what was hot at the moment. Yeah. Right. And then when what's hot at the moment shifts because you're in a commercial endeavor to that degree that the rest of the, you know, the, uh, the managements and the teams and the labels and the radio teams are assuming that you had converged on the fact that you were simply pursuing those things, but it actually yeah. is shifted away from your actual, you know, values and natural energy and stuff like that. So that makes But then sense. also on the other hand, I understood like we needed, the, it was our livelihood. Like we had all, you know, mm -hmm. we had a successful career with it, you know, with where we were. So, we suddenly had mortgages and like we bought houses and like we were adults now. So you have to still make money. So it was like, you have to, you have to compromise a little bit, but I just think the compromise that happened went without any of my say. I didn't have any say in where we were going. You and didn't I have think any that, say that's a, that's a no, strong statement. <laughs> yeah. There was, yeah, this, this is getting, we're getting honest here. Like there was a lot of team meetings that I wasn't involved in. And then suddenly getting kind of left out of the loop in conversations and then hearing things later like, wait, I didn't agree to this. Why are we doing these suddenly? And then it just got really – it just got weird. And then I was just like, okay, I I think this is time for me to maybe jump ship because I just – I wasn't I, – it wasn't even fun anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I, mean, I started. I, say, yeah. I, say, I find that very sad, of course. It's, um, it's but, very sad. but it definitely makes sense. But it sounds really tough. Yeah, it was, it was awkward, you know, and I think, uh, it started, it started coming out, um, 
I started acting out in in ways I definitely if I could if I could take things back in, in time, I, I wish I reacted differently. But you know, um, <laughs> would would you mind? It is what it is. To be yeah. more specific, there. Yeah, I just I think um, my roads, my road life. I, I became, I just became a miserable person. Like I've, I've always, I've always been like a, a, a happy go lucky kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I get on with everybody. I don't, I don't know if anybody hates me. I, I think I get on with everybody, you know, mm-hmm. but I think I just, I started, uh, days off, you know, and it's fine. I, I like, I would just get hammered and that was, that was a new thing. Like it, it was more, but it was more just, uh, a, a, an escape thing for me just to get through the day. Cause it was just another day off. I'm like, we're hanging out at a, at a Walmart parking lot. There's a Chili's right there. Let's <laughs> it's five o'clock. Let's just get through this day kind of thing. But that, I think that all surfaced because of what was going on internally with me. And I just, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think I dealt with it properly. Well, I know I didn't deal with it properly. Um, yeah. And like suddenly I became like, like a brawler. I started like getting in fights and bars and like, for real. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not who I am. You know, looking back, I'm like, what, what the heck was wrong with me? Like, and it makes sense now looking back, but I was just, I was just hurting. Who would you, you know? tussle with? Who would like, just how does that play out? Random, just random people in the bar. I, like I, you were I, looking for it or something. Yeah. You're I don't, looking for and, trouble. You know, I have, I have a brother that's like that now too. And I'm just like, there's just, but there's internal hurt there. That was, that was causing it. You know what I mean? And wow. I, I think eventually I knew I, I was just kind of getting worse and worse and worse. I, I thought the only thing for my safety was to just get off the road. And I, mm-hmm. I knew that, like I knew it, like just to quit. I, it was a rage quit. Honestly. Um, it was a rage quit after the fourth album. I'm like, okay. I need to, I committed to five. So I need to do the fifth one. And I just wrote a bunch of random crappy songs, recorded them. And the funny thing is, Matt, I, I sarcastically wrote a song called Your Love is a Mystery. And I, it was a complete mockery of Christianity because I had I'd so tapped out at this point, man. I was just like, I was I had deconstructed my faith before deconstruction was trendy or cool. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. I didn't announce it or anything. I just, I was so over <laughs> it um, that I just... I put every cliche Christian statement on a, on a lyric sheet and recorded it. And it became one of our longest lasting number one songs on Christian radio. Mm. That's on crazy. It was all all a joke. Yeah. We're the ones who believe in the things I've seen. There's home, there's body is in between. We're the ones who fight down on our knees, who dare to love our Yeah, because that 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 um, I wouldn't beat yourself up too much. For that. I hope you don't, and I know you're reflecting on it in a different place now. But that that pull to that exact you know joke is like 
that's built into the environment like that everybody yeah. everybody i know does has been in that, that spot where they're like well there's something that they want me to do so why don't i just do it for them and it, you, that comes from a place of like oh it's, it's like it you feel it just is a bad feeling but it's like the 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 idea that i could just write something that they would want to hear and i have the ability to do it it's almost like it's that's just sitting right there to be done so if you're either yeah. cynical at all or making an obvious joke or a lot of people do it on the side and don't show it or necessarily release it or whatever, don't release you know, as a single <laughs> yeah, yeah right but i mean that joke is there and how you work through that 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 uh whatever that is that feeling of knowing that there's a certain thing people would want you to do and you could do it that's just a bad it's just a bad feeling everybody deals with it different you know yeah so yeah and i remember as i was kind of struggling i said i had some very strong issues with uh the fifth album um and the whole warp tour thing we had a big vent a big you know you know we had a big fight um one day me and our bass player dan and our manager ryan at the time and i was just like i am so over this and uh, our manager came over and knocked on my door when i was living in nashville he's like hey he's like we got to talk about this next single he's like, here's a hint he's like the more times you can mention Jesus in a song, the more money you're going to make. Uh-huh. And I stop. I'm like, get yeah. off my property. I'm like, gotta go. I'm like, I am not. I am not. That. And then yeah. that's that yes. night. I formed my strongly worded email, letting them know that I was quitting and I wasn't yeah. going to do this anymore. Right. And then they called mm. for another meeting and said, "Don't please don't mention this to anybody." And it was too late. I told everybody I was quitting, and I had no regrets about that at all. Wow. Um, and yeah, it caused a lot of heartache for everybody. Yeah, it, it just was nothing was handled properly. Uh, and again, and me being, you know, I'm, I know this now as a dad and a husband, I'm too nice of a guy. Like, I don't ever want to see anything bad happen to anybody. So we had a one on one, me and our bass player, Dan, because at this time, him and I were the owners of the band. And I was getting ready to sell it. And I was like, hey, man. And in my mind, I was like, we'll just quit. And then who knows, maybe in 10 years, we can get together and do a reunion. By the way, that 10 year would have been today, uh, this year, but, uh, or last year, I guess. But, um, as the guy I am, I'm like, well, why don't you guys just go on without me? Just think he'd be like, no, we couldn't do that, man. You're, you're the voice of the band. That's what I thought his response would be. And so he was like, no, I, yeah, I think we're going to do that. I'm like, Oh, and then that just, that just, you know, just drove me further into the ground. Um, wow. to the point where after I left, they took everything that I had ever been credited for. They took it down. Um, new website, like, like the original Hawk Nelson never existed and that killed me. And, uh, yeah. I'm so sorry to hear it. From, I mean, thank you for sharing that or this territory. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, you know, that's, that's, that sounds terrible i'm really sorry to hear that that's the experience that you went through yeah, it was pretty rough man <laughs> wow okay so it um yeah I've, I've it sounds like you you know for what it's worth it sounds like you ha- wrestled with and did have principles of values that were just non-compromised to you and, and and i think that's punk you know i think that's in that in that spirit of that and it and it really cost you yeah and so right after i i was like i tapped out and i i'd finished my obligations you know i finished the album but then i started writing for a project i called lights go down um which was 
it's pop punk. It's it's what I was honestly. It's what I was created to do, I, and I I don't doubt that for a minute. Um, and hands down is the, is the, my favorite thing I've ever done. I just did it with some buddies um, in New York where I moved, and I lived in New York for uh, almost four years, and uh, just met some great guys there, um, and wrote these songs together and recorded it. Um, but I. I I'd realized because it sounded like Hawk was going to go on without me doing what I had done. And then someone's like, bro, you got to hear their single. And so they sent me the single and I heard it. And I'm like, even though I technically sold the the business, the name was mine. Like I created that name. So to hear that kind of music with that name, it just, again, it was, it was just like, it, just, mm. <laughs> it went further and further into me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is bad. Like, uh, yeah, it just fell apart. So anyways, I'm like, okay, well, they're not doing the whole pop punk thing clearly. So I'm like, now is my chance to bring these songs I've been kind of working on. I'll bring them to life again. And of course, when you don't have the name that you build, it's to start from the ground up again was really tough. Oh, and, oh man. So, so it, it just got real. Okay. So what should have happened though, if we look back at everything now, and then, I mean, Hawk Nelson's had a uh, 10 more years of career and success um yeah you know it, so when i'm looking at your spotify and i'm seeing hawk nelson songs you know i'm not seeing hawk nelson that i know California. that i think of Correct. yeah like like it, yeah california's not in the songs that, uh, or maybe it is it's that the i don't yeah. even know if it's it's not even it doesn't even show up in the 10 hawk nelson songs so that's yeah it's, it's and weird it's and then this like my life is so different today like like I have, you know, I'm married with three kids and I've got a whole group of adult friends like that didn't even, they don't even know I played in a band. I, it's uh -huh. not like, Hey, do you know who I was? Like, there's no, there's no talk of that. So like, uh, well, for instance, we've got some friends over right now and uh, my wife's probably telling her what I'm doing right now. She'll be like, what? But the problem uh -huh. is she'll go home and try to Google it. And it's like Hawk Nelson. Like, that's brutal yeah it is that's what's terrible. the point of talking about it anyway so it's, it's just weird it's just oh like, man i'm so sorry so yeah, it's, what, it's what just... if you if we if everybody could really get a grip or if you if it was if the first of all i don't know that anybody was thinking 10 years ahead or how things would go or that the the permanence of the things that we were doing that seemed like you were in a band you have a couple albums and then you'll be forgotten about is what it felt like at you yeah. know at the time and you I didn't really realize it have a permanence to it or you would yeah. have probably handled it differently but what obviously should have happened here if I may interject is that you should have that they should have continued simply with a new name correct that's what should have happened in that and case. I had a I had someone actually. We had fired our manager that I talked about earlier, Teresa, and I had asked her to come to my aid because I'm like, these guys are like, she's like, don't give them the name. Whatever you do, don't give them the mm -hmm. name. I'm like, ah, I think it's too late. And like, you know, I'm not, a, I, I didn't know the legalities behind it. So she's like, nope. She's like, I'm going to get you on tours. We're going to book you as Hawk Nelson. She's like, do not let them take it. And I started doing that. And then they, they filed a lawsuit against me. So I just, I was like, I, I'm not, I'm not even going to mess with that. So I just hung it up. So oh, I didn't know that either, and I'm sorry. I appreciate you revealing that. I don't know if it's if I don't it's even know. Long, it's old enough now that like yeah, they, you know, like no one cares anymore. Like they're not even active anymore, so it doesn't. Yeah, but it just it's just worth the reflection here, and that's why I really appreciate it because this these things, these lessons, these whatever's in this 
it repeats itself in um, group conflict over and over all over every nonprofit and band and yeah. company but and church. I mean, these are real dynamics, you, you know. If you want to get even ultra more depressed, you know, like not only the livelihood I'd built with that band, but the the friendships over all the years, like the guys we toured with, every single friend I made on the road, I got dropped me like a fly. Really? I don't understand that. Yeah, like it and it's weird, like it's like they, they and I've had a few conversations with people over the years and they, they apologize. They're like, I don't know why we felt this, but it's like we had to choose you mm-hmm. you or Hawk. And he's like, We had to go with Hawk. And he's like, uh-huh. I'm sorry about that. And it's just and I see. Yeah. So let me see if I can understand their point of view just a little bit. If I can so that that um from their point of view and their narrative or or the team the whatever they would have seen simply that they had did have a commercially viable business called Hawk Nelson who one of the members of and leaders of was behaving self-destructively and volatile and and seem and then wants to leave you know that so from, that's their frame of reference was Probably, we yeah. all have this thing it's stable it's valuable we've invested our whole lives in it and this one person now for whatever his reasons are which i heard i heard your reasons I, I i fully get it and think i would react same as you um but they observe you like you said getting hammered getting in fights being neg- like that what like not like that would have been like well i guess this guy's on his way out in, the, in, in some the way industry, and then he quits yeah that doesn't fly yeah yeah nor should yeah. it anywhere but yeah so they you know whether or not they like they probably could have if you could have negotiated it properly there could have been a proper negotiation there that just wasn't didn't happen where yeah, they could have had the name continued their commercial venture gone into AC contemporary music and yeah. there could have been something but in you know in it when it when the conflict unfolds like that you know rapidly yeah it, i experienced and not, there's a lot of collateral damage though. yeah yeah and i just it was a, it was a rage quit like i didn't have time to mm-hmm. think properly through like, okay even if it just took a couple months to figure this out, it was just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, there's a lot in that that I do think is valuable for people to understand because I just think that's a kind of a common pattern when things, you know, break down. Yeah, and I think so. That doesn't lessen your experience and loss in it, though, because that really s- seems extreme, and I, I really didn't even realize those were the conditions. I think yeah, most like, people don't know, right? I don't think I most got, people I got divorced, that. Matt, but like this, this breakup was way worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, mm-hmm. it, it killed me. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that um, in that way. And so the, the, are you in contact or on any terms? I mean, with the, with those guys since? Uh, a text. So Benner, who basically when we were on the road, Benner, who was our drummer, him and I were basically roommates. We we bunked in a hotel together. The other guys, with Jan and Dan and John, would would bunk in a room. We were the ones that would always go out and like have a good time, and they they'd be in bed by you know nine, which is fine. So uh, yeah, I was just talk, talking to Benner this morning. So him and I keep up. Uh, once I left, I think he was only around for like another month or two, and then he ended up leaving too. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other whoever Hawk Nelson was after we had left, I don't even know the other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan, he uh, he did the big deconstruction of his faith thing, mm-hmm. which um, I think that that's kind of what put the 
the nail in the coffin for the band. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I, I mean, I, that's I, a that's a very interesting. That's the sec, that's the next interesting thing that happens with the brand of Hawk Nelson. And I'm, you know, I'm obviously curious your thoughts on it, but it may be neither here nor there. But what sticks out to me is that they go in even farther into this image and, uh, you know, adult contemporary and the what the market, you, mark easily marketable, you know, music, and really get far. And then with him you know, singing and leading in that way. And that then there's some erosion there. And then he, like you said, you were doing the deconstruction early um, there. And then he, got, you know, has that, whatever that journey must be to be all the way, way, way into that world. And then take it, take the public platform and then have that, have that, you know, eject from that public platform in an even bigger way. So, I mean, that that is what the interesting thing is that has happened since you've left, I think, to sum it up. That's how I would say it. But, you know, I don't know what, what thoughts you have on that. Yeah, I mean, I get it because, like I said, I, I, I went through the same thing. But when you're put on a platform to try to sell the gospel, mm-hmm. there's no way you're going to win that, that. There's no way. It's going to eat you from the inside it's, out. Right. And, yeah. There's um, a soul sellingness to that. That. Yeah. There's something. And I wasn't willing to do that. Yeah. Uh, even if I didn't even believe half the stuff I was saying, uh, you, you do it because that's going to sell a t-shirt, you know, and that mm-hmm. became the goal, which wasn't mm-hmm. the case when you're 17, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're wanting to just play music and, and be, not to say, not to be a godly influence, but you just, you want to influence people with your music. You want to help them with their music, with your music. And suddenly it became about tell- selling t-shirts and singles to radio. And I, it just, it's not good for anybody, you know? Yeah. It's, and you're going to see more, you're going to see more and more of it. It's, it's only the beginning of people starting to realize like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? This is not safe. Mm-hmm. So, Well, again, I think that that's like, you know, maybe early or ahead or you have clarity, but it is, these are the same challenges that happen in, you know, groups, nonprofits, businesses, where there's like, well, we've lost, we've lost what we fundamentally knew that we were at some, you've lost yourself in a, something else, these other forces to, you know, kind of can take over and you can lose who you are in that process, whether or not it's it's Christianity. (laughs) Well, I mean, whether or not it's Christianity, it's just, it's just, you're, you're, you become lost whatever the reason yeah. is like even if you, maybe it's because you feel like you owe these people or you have to accomplish these whatever it is that once you just kind of it's just easy to get lost i mean and lose perspective and it happens to people all the time it, you know happens to people all the time so it but and then there's bigger and smaller cases of it and sometimes it's yeah i'm sure pure greed and you know sometimes it's more complicated still but um that's it's, it's complicated stuff. Uh, and you have, um, what has it been like? Like you're at a church now for, for work? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how do we get to that? Man. So I had, I had tapped out of Christianity completely. I was, I was convinced it was just a thing that my parents had put on me. Um, and they just, that's all they knew. So it's like good for them. Um, and so I was, I was, I was tapped out like 100%. Not to say that I didn't believe in God, but I'm like, there's obviously a different way. Um, and, you know, looking back at what 
Jonathan had said in his, you know, deconstructive thing. And um, like him, I think it was so easy for me to put my faith in, in the people rather than in God. Uh, and so when you lose trust in people, suddenly your whole fundamental beliefs just kind of come crashing down like a, like a house of cards, if you will, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I had moved to, I, when I left Hawk, I, I got it in Nashville. I basically was like, this place is not for me. Um, I moved to New York. Um, I lived in, I lived in the West village for a year. And then I lived in hell's kitchen for almost three years. And, uh, I loved it. Um, I, my marriage was on the rocks when I got there. Um, so I followed my wife to New York cause she said she's moved to New York. You can come or not. And I went, uh, to try to save my marriage. Um, wasn't working. I knew I wasn't saving it, but um, what were you doing career wise at that time? I, I wasn't doing anything. I, sorry, I was out on the road as a solo act, which was an utter disaster. Um, you know, I was releasing music. Nobody cared. <laughs> like it's just no one knew about it. Like how do I? How do I? You know, there's no support from a label, management, nothing. I was just literally doing it on my own, um, and was failing miserably at it. So I was just like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Um, yeah, just kind of was trying to do that. Um, I started doing like house shows. <laughs> you know, it's just mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. People are, people are bringing me in to play in their living room in their basements. And they're like, oh, I remember seeing you at Winter Gym last year. We got a picture wow. of you. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. And I'm like, oh, what do I do? I don't know. I don't. I didn't know what to do. Um, anyways, long story short, I was like, I got a I, – I was getting divorced at this point. We knew it wasn't working. So I was trying to explain to my mom and dad that I was getting divorced. And I'm like, they're going to they're gonna murder me. Like, they're super, like, righteous zealots, you know, like – you can't get divorced. You know, you made an oath to God. Like that's what I was picturing. So I had, I had flown home from New York, um, twice to, to tell them. And I'm like, and I, I chickened out both times. Um, and then the third time I actually took a train and like to give some time to process my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Let them know my world is literally falling apart and I'm going to move home. Let them know I'm coming home. If there's any work I can do, like basically a clean slate, you know, I have no wife. I have, no job my pets this heads is, are falling off you know it's like, falling off is 2012 uh this is 20 13? no this is i think 2015 15 okay yeah so um, not that long ago and uh yeah i took a oh sorry i took a train and then i uh, the third or fourth time i ended up taking a flight again and i flew in in january and it was for uh every january my family does like this group birth i think it's like I have five siblings and I think four of them's birthdays are in January. My mom's birthday, everyone's birthday is in January, basically. So we do a big party every year on one day. So I flew home for that. I'm like, okay, this is where it's going to happen. I'm like, frick, I'm an idiot. Like I'm not going to announce this at a big party. <laughs> you know. So I kept it to myself. <laughs> I just kept it to myself again. And then I uh, flew home. I flew to, to Newark, New Jersey, got in a, a taxi. And uh, I was going to go to my apartment on West 49th Street in New York. And I stopped at my local watering hole. It's called Malloy's on 9th Ave. And I stopped in there. I was going to get a, a beer and like a burger or whatever. It's kind of my normal thing to do. And I walked in with my suitcase and Johnny was the head bartender there. And he was like, how was your trip to Canada? I was like, oh, it was good, man. Short but sweet, you know, yada, yada. And I sat down and he's like, hey, I want to introduce you to, uh, we have a new bartender working today. Her name's Neve. It's her first day. So I met Neve. Um, uh, and we hit it off. We, we've 
we'd sing together and, and she was just, you know, she's a good girl, cute girl. Oh, uh, she's from Ireland. She had a, she had a cute accent. You know, I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but I was like, I'm not going to get attached. I'm not even going to, you know, I'm getting divorced. I have no, I'm not really looking for love, you know, just, um, but whatever. So just, we hung out here and there and explained to her that I'm getting ready to move back to Canada, trying to figure out what I'm going to do for work. I didn't mention the band thing. I was like, yeah, I was just here for a few years trying to figure out where I'm going. And uh, anyways, I ended up moving back. I was doing Lights Go Down at this time. I was recording an EP called We Kept It Alive. Um, it's a five song EP. You should check it out. It's not, it's not the worst thing I've done. But anyways, uh, I was recording that, um, and then I was like, okay, I guess I'll tour this, and we're trying to get tours, and again, when you live on a bus for so long to go back to doing a, a van tour, it's it's not as exciting and fulfilling, you know what I mean? So I, I did, I think, 10 or 11 shows, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to Canada, figure out, work with my dad or whatever. And uh, yeah, I moved back and started working at a hardware store. That's that was this was my uh, this was my rock bottom, Matt. Mm-hmm. And then um, this bartender Neve started hitting me up um, on Facebook or whatever. Like, hey, like we're coming to Canada to go camping. You should meet us. And I met her, and we 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 hit it off, and we hung out. And uh, then she started flying out to see me every once in a while. And then my mom. Oh, by this point, I I moved back to Canada. My mom's like, "What's going on?" And then I told him like. I just, I, I basically, as soon as I opened my mouth, I just broke down and just lost everything. Like baggage just poured out, you know, and it was just, it was very uh, therapeutic. I'd say I'm like, I'm get I'm going through a divorce. You know, I just, my life is like, is over. Like, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, like, um, of course my dad, I, I am my dad, Matt. I've realized as I gotten older, my dad's in the back. He doesn't say much, but he's like, called it <laughs> like thanks dad <laughs> you know but like it's just you know it's, uh, but um they you know they embraced me and like they didn't like how dare it was it was totally not that at all they were very beautiful you know it was it was it was a beautiful thing and, and it, there was a lot of forgiveness you know um anyways six seven months go on or whatever and then suddenly this neve chick starts flying in to toronto to start hanging out with me on weekends and whatever and I'd rented this little crappy basement apartment on a lake. <laughs> like, this is weird. It's like my first time living on my own, paying rent. And I was like, this is so weird. Um, and so she started hanging out and whatever. And my mom and dad met her. And uh, my mom's always trying to get me to go to church. And I'm like, no, I think I'm okay, mom. Like, that's I, I'm, that's not for me. I appreciate it. But I, I think I'm just going to, you know, hang out, you know. And so eventually, after asking me like 20 times and me saying no, she asked this girl that was coming to visit me, if she'd come to the, uh, this Easter service with her and my dad. And of course she said, Oh sure. Um, and Neve had no religious upbringing at all. She was raised Catholic in Ireland, but didn't practice, you know, that was kind of her, her background. And me growing up in the church was like, Oh gosh, I knew it was this Easter service at, um, a church we did, we didn't attend. We do. It was kind of like an, an older church with a bunch of old people. And, 
I was like, I know this church. It's it's dull. It's boring. It's going to be a nightmare. And the the perform the production they're doing was called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with that one. You know that one, Matt? I know the themes and how they are played. Yeah. I know how those th- are dramatized the guy, the guy generally. Drink, but, guy right, drunk right, driving, right. gets killed, right. goes to hell. Yes. You yeah. know, a gay guy you goes to hell. Yeah. The, the cliche. And I'm, so we got there a little bit late. And so, and we walked into this full packed, like old church and everyone's like in their eighties wearing suit and tie. And I'm in with like ripped jeans and like a wife beater or whatever. And, you know, and my mom and dad are sitting in the second row at the very front. So we're walking through everyone's sitting there. They're like watching us and like, okay, who are these people? You know? And like, it was, it was, you could, you could feel the judgmental eyes on us. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh gosh, like this is so cringy. I'm going in there knowing I'm going to get dumped after this because I know this production. I've seen it at other churches growing up, mm-hmm. and it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And anyway, it went on for like an hour and a half, and it was bad. The lights was – the production was poor quality. The sound was horrible. Feedback galore. You know how it goes. And then the the old pastor comes up to do like a, the altar call, the classic altar call. They asked everyone to close their eyes, and I'm just cringing. I'm like, this is so uncomfortable. I got to get out of here. Anyway, it's out of respect. I put my head down, you know, did the Picos even put their hands up. Um, but at that moment, the the girl I was seeing, Neve, she she just kind of poked, put her fingers in my side. She's like, hey, she's like, would you go to the front of the church with me? Whoa. And uh, I'm sorry, man. This gets me. No, okay. Yeah, take it, take a moment. When he texted me yesterday, talking about pivotal moments in life this was uh this was the big one so um i just suddenly everything in my in my heart and in my head changed i'm like yeah for sure i'll go to the front with you and uh i marched to the front with her and i just stood there beside her and i put my hand on her shoulder because that's what i thought to do and um i recited the prayer with her and the pastor um, but in that moment, I knew that prayer wasn't just for her. It um, it did something to me. And uh, you know, you read you read scriptures about being transformed, and transformation is when there's a fully, a complete difference in a change in in appearance. Uh, that's the definition in Webster's dictionary, and uh, that happened to me at that moment. I was a, wow. I was a completely different person, like. Everyone could see it. Like it was yeah. there it was unbelievable. Um so all those things I used to talk about on stage to sell t shirts, it it made sense suddenly to me where it's like, oh my gosh, like there was a savior that actually died for us and like it was just it was powerful, man. Uh we left that church, uh we went right to like a bookstore, I bought a Bible. And we bought two Bibles and like a bunch of devotionals and just dove right in head first, man. Um, I didn't ever go back to the church. It wasn't my vibe. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's, that's not awesome though. Yeah. But um, my, my, I have, like I said, I have five siblings. Um, three of them are, you know, still, you know, have faith. A few of them don't. Um, I was one of them that just had kind of hung it up and I understand where they're coming from too. There's a lot of church hurt um, in my family. Um, but, I started telling this church that um, I knew the pastor. I grew up with him, um, him and his wife, they started a church and I was like, what can I do to help? Like I just showed up and it was a portable church or it is a portable church. So I just started 
tearing down the chairs and the curtains every Sunday. Just I wanted to be there and I wanted to, to do my part. Um, and they knew my backstory. And um, my brother played in like the worship band there. And he's like, hey, man, he's like, one morning he just texted me being like, I forgot I have to work tomorrow at, um, on Sunday morning. He's like, would you be able to play bass for the church band? And I was like, easy, bro. I'm like, I've been going there for like three weeks. I'm like, I don't know any church songs like that. I know like shout to the Lord from like the early 2000s. Like that's my, that's like where I'm at. I'm like, just send me that. I'm like, do you think they'd let me play? And he's like, yeah, I already asked like the the music director. He said it'd be great. So I'm like, okay, well just send me the music and I'll, I'll learn them or whatever. So I just showed up willing to play. And then, uh, yeah, then a year later they offered me a, a job as on staff there to do all the music and stuff. So I've been there for yeah, five years now and, uh, it's been, it's been a trip, man. Wow. I did so, not sorry, I expect know, that TMI, I just... <laughs> No, it's so awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I'm just taking it in here because you're right. Those are just, those are just big time moments, but the thing like to, okay. It, to me, whatever these transformative experiences are that are possible, like, that happen in those moments where you go, oh, right now a thing is happening. It happens in an instant that you know the instant it begins to happen yeah. that it's for it it, unreal, you are man. forever it, changed. Those, ha- those yeah, it was unreal. You know, and some people don't have those ever in their lifetime. Some people, they're right. believers or non-believers or whatever it is, never have those whatever that is. And maybe people get that from uh, psychedelics or something. I don't know. I'm just saying yeah. there it is a thing that is a absolutely real experience and I'm able to have those. I've had those from, I've had them in different ways and, and for sure I've had them in the church context. The first times I ever had things like that are in, you know, you know, this, this is like a where you get saved or whatever. And, but I've had handfuls of the moments like that, that, that occur and they come so unexpectedly. Yeah. Like, it was bizarre. It's, yeah. And, and, and whatever that is, that just I, I, it seems like the most important thing in the world to me is that if everybody could experience whatever that is where it's it's totally beyond you whatever is happening uh, and yeah. music kind of gets people close to that and like yep. I don't know and you know but that just that's important big stuff and uh, it seems to happen in relation to this whole spectrum of pain and suffering and up and downs and rock bottoms and like all these it's all this being broken man if you're broken you have nothing and you have nothing to to hang on to like ego if you have if mm-hmm. you have no ego mm-hmm. and you're broken I, that's that's what it found me because i didn't expect anything in return you know it was just mm-hmm. and when you have nothing to give but everything is given to you it's just it was yes it was a, a like a holy crap this is it's too good to be true that, and and it it's is, a double whammy that it, Neve, it was Neve, and like she, she had, she in her experience was having that, and you didn't even know it. And then she, whatever that combination of her having it triggers one that in you, and now you're having a shared one of those. Wow, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's yeah. a big. One. Oh, also, I should mention we got married a couple years later, or a year later. And we're we're we've been married seven years now, and we have three kids. I three kids. What what ages are the are they? Six, four, the and four. Yeah, I have twin daughters who are both four. Oh, amazing! And a six-year-old okay, so son. Six, four, and four with yeah. her since that time. Yeah, and that was not like you said it a minute ago, but that was not long ago. No, 
Yeah, we've been together. I think eight years, married seven. And, Not long yeah. ago. Like that was that was twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Yeah. Gosh, that was just seems really recently. So 20, so, yeah, twenty fifteen is when all that went down. Yeah, we got married yeah. in twenty sixteen. Wow. Wow. So people yeah. that haven't heard from you since you left the band just have no idea. <laughs> like no. me, you know, no idea. So if some people, maybe they dropped you or whatever that part is. And some people just like, well, I don't know. I'm sure it's like, like I didn't know. Yeah, who cares? Anything. Whatever, I didn't yeah. know there was any of, any of that. Was that I just, you know, um, but it's so, it's so crazy. It's so wild to hear um, how a trajectory can, can be like that. You know, I just don't, I just think most people don't, have even any you know i'm sure a lot of Were the people you expecting that, any of this you know, matt <laughs> no i wasn't i mean no i wasn't i i mean i just had i mean i'm not super surprised that the the types of trajectories that happen for people where they have a deconstruction like phase and they find new things and you know in most people's stories they do have a, a rock bottom thing or the one big thing they got over or the hardest thing in their life often comes at the age range and stage of life that you're in. So that's, yeah. a, that, again, that's why I'll raise that with people, but yours is very extreme, very extreme. Yeah. You know, and, and, un, you know, I, I don't know. So, uh, it, and to be honest it, with you, I don't think there's anything wrong with deconstructing your faith as long as you can reassemble it. Like, I think people confuse deconstruction with demolition. You know Controlled I mean? demolition is is yeah. right, right, exactly. So, I think yeah. it's okay to have questions. I think it's important to have questions as long as you find find answers that I don't know the right people or the right information to to, to get the answers you're looking for, or maybe some you're not people, looking for. <laughs> some um some people if they. Some people don't make it through necessarily yeah. um, a a deconstruction or a, a demolition or a controlled demolition or even a renovation. Um, and there's a lot of people who are afraid in the community of believers or church or parents or families who don't want anybody to even get near that because they're afraid they might not be able to make it through if they yeah. deconstruct a little or a lot or whatever it is. They're afraid that might they might not recover from it so mm. that and then it's like then you double down on keeping the bubble you know to prevent yep, people these people that you don't think can make it through so you make sure they don't try to walk that path but on yeah. the other hand if you can walk that path and make it through the other side you know you can have some really beautiful stuff happen for sure it's awesome wow so you, it's just so crazy because it's like I got your contact from the church website. So I was like, well, he was in, he was in Hawk Nelson, and now he works at a church as a worship leader. Okay, end of story. <laughs> like, yeah, well, yeah. you don't know the, the in between of that. You know, it's like, well, of course, you you're in a band, you're in a Christian band, then you wind up a worship leader at a church. That's like that's the straight line. Like, which I said no, I would never do, by the yeah. way. <laughs> And so, what can you see from here? You got a long way to go. I mean, what, what, what else? What else? Yeah, is well, like ha- I said, I mean, man, I, I, I have a whole new group of friends now. And like I said, none of them, or very few of them, know that I ever played in a band. It's not something I like brag about or mm-hmm. talk about. It's just my life is so different from what it was ten years ago. Um, I'm literally when I'm here. I'm when I'm done here. I'm going mini golfing with my kids and my wife. We're going mini golfing and. We just hang out in the backyard in the pool and 
Uh, and when I'm not with them, I'm working. And then, you know, that's it. I play soccer on Friday nights. <laughs> no one knows what I did. And, and I love it that way. Um, you know, I'll, I'll rip on the guitar once I'm on the back. I'll be like, oh, gee, you're pretty good. I'm like, oh, thanks. And, and that's that, you know, <laughs> it's, uh-huh. it's nothing. Yeah. I'm happy. I, I'm, I've never been happier in, or in a better spot. I think, uh, mentally, uh, spiritually, um, just emotionally, it's all, I'm in a good spot right now. Um, and yeah, I'm just, wow. I'm riding this wave. <laughs> um, just two more kind of open loops for me are do when you have that experience in the church there, is that a, how do you put that in perspective from being a believer before or what you did? Like, what is it different or new or came back or something you are, don't feel that you really had the first time around? Yeah. I mean, I haven't really thought about this, but like, whatever I say might come out complete garbage. Is it, it sounds, it sounds probably better in my head, but like, I feel like I was educated enough in Christianity as a kid. Like you could know how to say all the right scriptures, you know, all the things it'd be like, I don't know. Well, just say a doctor or someone, someone, or we'll use an, an athlete that's, that can watch all the YouTube videos and how to train and how to, how to condition himself, but to never actually do the training it's you're not really an athlete you you know how to do it and i feel like that's kind of i guess what i'm trying to say is that's probably how my life was i knew how to do everything i knew all the right answers i knew the right things to say but to actually live it and fully experience it is wasn't wasn't a thing even but though you i believe I, you believe I, I believe i thought i i thought i was yeah mm-hmm. which is weird and i guess i i don't know if i explained that right but that's the first thing that popped into my head right now but but you wouldn't say i was not a christian until 2015 you wouldn't say that would you i don't think so um i don't know it just it was a it was a real it was a real experience for me in time before that i think it was what like six years old you say a prayer in sunday school mm-hmm. and you get an ice cream mm-hmm. cone you know what right. i mean or a sticker so you do that and then well i guess i guess that's it <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's but fascinating I, I, to, to i've learned i've about. learned this time around is like it's not you don't just make that decision and then you're like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm set now. It's, it's, it's every day is a, is a journey and it's a destiny. It's a, it's something you're striving to, to do every day, which I don't think I was doing that in the past. Mm-hmm. You just kind of coast cruise control, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And now something I wake up with purpose and like, okay, how can I make someone, someone's life better today? You know what I mean? Like that's kind of, that's just kind of how I approach every day. Yeah. I don't think that's a jumble mess. I, I, I understand what you are are saying there very much. Um, and the time, the other thing that just is sticks out to me, that's the word that I want to ask you if it fits right, is that in the t- the the wild thing to me is that that permanence to the name Hawk Nelson and all that. The fact that if you somebody Google searches Hawk Nelson, they're not even like you're. You know, is, is that, I don't or, exist. <laughs> it's a race. Is it a, an erasure? Is there you've been? Is something is erased? Is that how you feel? Is that no, word they, right? They 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 said they're going to get rid of everything. <laughs> they every every video we released on our channel, they took down. The only reason they're up again is because fans had them and put them up, <laughs> and they're not able to take those down. Because uh, yeah, it's so, well, I mean, uh, you know, that in itself is its own thing, but just the, your experience. 
I mean, I, first, I like, like that's, it, I don't think that's, like you're having this experience of being erased from your point of view. But on the other hand, it, I know for sure that there is the, that there's a permanence to you and Hawk Nelson that triggers in everyone's mind, like it does mine, and a lot of people listen to this yeah, podcast and, you, uh, and you everybody. Touched, where, you know, but you touched d- on there earlier, is this, you know, it's weird. Yeah, you touched on it earlier. Where, like, I thought, like, you know, after maybe a year max, they'd be like, okay, whatever. What what's his name? The old singer, Jason, whatever his name is. Yeah, okay, where? But it's like it's been it's been eleven years, and people are still like, please come back, like. And maybe that's maybe that's only three people or whatever it is, but like, why are people still writing me? Like, you think this ship would have no, sailed yeah, long because, ago? Right. Yeah, it's it's permanent, but the digital veneer of things, it, you know, and like it's just that's just highlighted so weird because like if I meet somebody at a t-ball game and they figure I'm in a band or what band it is, then they look it up on Google. I'll be horribly embarrassed still because they'll find old stuff right. or I'm like they won't understand this or whatever. Or so, but at least lining. it's me. At least <laughs> yeah. it's me. But if they if I went to the, if they met me and then they went and Googled it and they found some uh, not me and it didn't even sound like anything that I did, yeah. then I would be ve- I would be much more frustrated by the I'm embarrassed slightly embarrassed, at this or yeah. whatever. But I mean, if it was like some other kind of music and I wasn't there and they were thinking, yeah, I guess that was what. I mean, that's just like, that's so dissonant. Like that seems, I could see why you wouldn't even like, there's just, that, yeah. it's like, you can't really claim that as part of your history because people can't yeah, even, it sucks. Yeah. But, oh, but the people from the era that you were in, I promise you, I just want you to feel and know, I promise you the people that it impacted during that time in no way is it erased. The actual right. imprint on the people that would maybe email you or if they saw you or listen to this podcast, they, I promise you that is very real and not erased. I just, I'm certain of it. That, imp- that is a permanent thing. It's maybe not on the, on the, you know, website or whatever, but yeah. The, but that is very real and doesn't go anywhere, and it and it's yeah. just there. But it's weird that that you ha, ha, have had to be in a position to be disconnected from that, or that a new person can't come to understand that. So it really does feel like as you meet new people, there's a part, a whole chapter of your life that is somehow forgotten. Up, yeah, it's yeah, gone. Yeah, that's terrible. I'm sorry to hear it that way. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I just yeah, that's a that's an interesting set of circumstances, and I, you know. I can't give you enough credit for being willing to share it and to do this. I've just, you know, I really enjoyed it and gotten a lot, a lot out of it. And it's, it's, it's been a fun You've got your editing hands too. full, Matt. I'm not going to edit anything. <laughs> not going to edit anything. Maybe the time when your daughter comes if, for a second and you say, I'll be in there in a few minutes, which is a lie. Maybe. We'll yeah, I'm that. such a liar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I know a, you know, this, me. No, this conversation is, is this good. I mean, it'll be great as it is. And, you know, thank you so much for being, I don't know, you know, I just hit you up yesterday and here we are. And now we've gone all the way through this. So, well, I said, I mean, I was, I was delighted when I saw him. Like, oh, frick, that's awesome. Matt Carter, Emery, this is the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll let you get back to your life i'm really you know i feel connected and it's it's neat to connect with somebody over in canada living i've got three kids i mean you know there's a lot of resonance in our story and our time period and um some shared stuff and a lot of stuff i didn't know so i just it, that's why i love doing this podcast it feels good to it feels it feels back in 
you know, history and territory and parallel journeys. And there's, you know, a lot to get from it. So thank you for doing yeah, it with me. Yeah, cool, man. It's honestly, like I said, it's my absolute pleasure. Let's back up and move to California. She's got lots of friends out there. We'll never get bored because we can go boarding. Let's let the sunshine take us there.